Good job, Emma. Hey, man, didn't you enjoy that? That's three generations of Millers, in case you didn't know that. And uh, Emma's little brother, who was sitting back there when Earl got up, said, Papa. I don't know if you heard him or not. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Daniel this morning. We're continuing our study on Russia. And the um, and Armageddon. We the last two weeks we've really been looking at Ezekiel 38 and 39. Daniel is the next book over towards your New Testament, if that helps you any. If you've been finding Ezekiel lately, you can find Daniel in the next book over. Daniel chapter 11, and uh, we continue that study. Stemming, of course, from the invasion of Ukraine by the Russian army and Putin. So uh, we're looking at these prophetic passages that talk about a coming world war, the last world war. It could be World War Three, or it could be four or five, but there is coming a last world war that uh, God speaks about often in the scripture. Well, with that said, let's look at verse 40 and then keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to this passage. And it says, And at that time, at the time of the end, shall the king of the south push at him. Now, the him here is the Antichrist. We know that because Daniel's been talking about the Antichrist since chapter 2 off and on. This is the Antichrist that the South pushes against. Now, it doesn't say they went to war, but they pushed. I guess that's a threat. They threatened war from the South. And then it says, and the king of the North, remember who the king of the North is? That's Gog, the North being Magog. And whoever is the leader of Russia at the time when this happens, that will be Gog. Could be Putin, or it could be the, the next leader, or the next leader after that. So the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. So this is not a push. This is an invasion. With chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he, again, that's the Antichrist, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow or overthrow, overwhelm, um, have overflowing victories and shall pass over. So here again we see the, the king of the north as uh, like Ezekiel 38 talked about. Pray with me please. Father, thank you for our time together today. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Eighteen days ago, of course, Russia invaded Ukraine. The numbers are pretty staggering. The UN says the number of citizens that have died is 579. That's as of last night. The article I was reading was 12 hours old, and so we don't know what that true number is. They're probably staying a, a, a day behind anyway and calculating those numbers. But that's from the UN. The Ukrainian 
people say there has been over 2,000 casualties among the uh, citizens, uh, with, of course, many of those being children. I saw last night on the news a young lady who had lost one of her children to the war. She was holding the other one up close to her chest, and she didn't know where to go. Everywhere you went, war was happening. And she said this, I quote, I don't know where to run to. And then in tears she said, who will bring our children back? It's a tragic time. Refugees, if you may remember, the first week I spoke from this subject, there was 250,000. Last week there was about 2 million. Or, and this week there's 2.5 million. And about half of those are children. You may have seen in Poland, in one, one of the places where they arrived, some local mothers had brought strollers and left strollers all across there at the train station. So women coming from the Ukraine who were carrying babies now would have a stroller to put them in. Bombs hit a cancer hospital, a maternity hospital, a children's hospital. Saw another article where 35 orphans were trapped in a bomb shelter for eight days and they were rescued by an American group. You may have seen the article as well about the 11 year old who walked six, or did, didn't walk the whole way, he traveled 620 miles. Some of that was by train and some of it was by foot. He was by himself, 11 years old, traveling across the country to freedom, to get. Uh, past the borders, and he had some family there uh, to meet him. The Andersons, of course, are missionaries in Romania. They are members of our church, and I've been telling you they are going to receive some refugees. They do have some now. They have uh, four, three ladies, and one baby. And uh, the baby, the, the mother of the baby, is one of those three ladies. And so, please pray for them. Also, we. We have some offering boxes in the front and going out this door as well. It says Andersons on it. If you'd like to give this, all of this will go directly to the Andersons to feed and clothe and care for the, uh, these refugees. So if you'd like to give, you can do that at the close of the service. Let's pray again for the people of Ukraine. Father, we pray again that you would protect the innocent in this great tragedy that's happening before our eyes. We thank you for the brave men and women there. And we pray again for your help and protection for each of them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now I want us to look at this passage. As I said, since chapter 2, Daniel's been talking about prophecy in times and the Antichrist. And... Uh, so I want us to move through these verses. Now I'm going to do it quickly. You have to listen quickly so I don't get bogged down. Because, you know, if I go long, I always blame it on you for not listening fast enough. So uh, verse 36, back up to verse 36. And the king, now the king here is again the Antichrist. And the king shall do according to his will. And he will exalt himself and magnify himself above God. And shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods. And shall uh, prosper till the indignation be accomplished. Or 
until God's wrath falls upon him. For that, that is determined, shall be done. His end is already determined by God, and it shall be done. But then it says of him, Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, his ancestry, nor desire of women. Now some people have taken that that he has, doesn't regard the desire of women to mean that maybe he is gay. I don't think that's the case. I think the desire of women is probably a reference to Christ because the Jewish ladies, knowing the Messiah was coming, they, uh, they looked forward to having children thinking maybe they would give birth to the Messiah. And so uh, the term desire of women could refer to that desire to have the Messiah. In this reference then, it would say he had no regard for Christ himself. And then it says, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces. Not just force, but forces. Armed forces. Military forces. This will be part of his God. Power, military power, forces. And a God whom his fathers knew not. And also, there's another God he will honor that his fathers uh, knew not. And he shall honor with gold and silver and a precious stones and pleasant things. This shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God. So who is this one God he does honor beside forces? That is, of course, Satan. That old dragon that Revelation talks about. If time permits, we'll get there at the close of the service. Um, he honors this God, the old dragon, Satan. Uh, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall uh, cause them to rule over many, and shall divide the land for gain. And then it comes and says, and at the time of the end, so we're talking about the end time, shall the king of the south push at him, and the north king of the north, that's the uh, Gog and Magog, shall come against him. Now it's interesting, in, in uh, chapter... 38 of Ezekiel, it says they're coming against Israel. Here it says they're coming against the Antichrist. But remember, uh, the Antichrist has signed a covenant with Israel at the beginning of the tribulation period. So uh, the Western Alliance and the Antichrist is protecting Israel. So if you go against Israel, you go against uh, the Antichrist. And it says, and you come against, <coughs> and come against him um, as a whirlwind with chariots, horses, and with ships. And he shall enter into the country and shall overflow or overrun or overwhelm them. That is, he will. He, the Antichrist, will overwhelm the armies of the north. Verse 41. He shall enter also into the glorious land. That's Palestine. That's the holy land. He shall enter into the holy land, and many countries shall be overthrown. Now he's overthrowing even the nation he signed the, the contract with, Israel and surrounding nations. And then 
three are going to escape out of his hand, at least at this point in time, Edom and Moab and Ammon. In present day, those three make up what we know today as, as Jordan. And then it says, He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Now, here comes that southern, that, uh, southern alliance. He goes against Egypt. And he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over the precious things of Egypt. In other words, he will conquer them. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians, that's this in the Sudan, remember? Uh, and it shall be, they shall be at his steps, or that is, they will be under his control. But tidings out of the east, ah, here's the eastern alliance. Out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many, or take away many, annihilate many. And he shall plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas, the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea, uh, in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none can help him. And so here's that passage in Daniel that I've referred to several times. It gives us, first of all, a description of the Antichrist, and then it gives us a little bit of a, of a chronological order of things. And that's what I'm thinking about this week. Last week, we, we talked about the stage being set, and we saw that. And uh, this week, I'm thinking about the chronological order. At least, I'm starting that process, and we'll do that over the next two or three weeks. So, look at your screen for a moment, and I'll remind you of the map. Ukraine is in the dark blue, and Russia, of course, with the name up there. And this northern alliance will come down like this, these three. And I'm adding that now the titles, northern alliance and so forth, because that's going to be in our timeline and then you have the southern alliance coming towards Israel which is that black star and then uh, you have the uh, uh, eastern alliance coming towards Israel and then you have the western alliance which will be headed by the Antichrist and uh, I added one more thing here and that is I put a little X on Rome so right there within the Western Alliance, Rome is right there under the word Europe. Uh, and some people think that will be the headquarters for the Antichrist, at least until the midway point. In the midway point, he's going to make his headquarters in Israel, in the glorious land, as we just read. But until that time, as head of the revived Roman Empire, uh, his headquarters will be in Rome. Some say it will be in Babylon. Uh, because Babylon is mentioned, of course, in the book of Revelation, but I think Babylon is symbolic for that which is uh, evil and that which is corrupt. I think he'll probably be there in Rome. And so you have then uh, a look at the map just quickly again. Now, let's think about the progression of things. I'll remind you again, I think the war will last three and a half years. I explained why in the past. And and it'll take the lives of 1.7 billion, I estimate. And I told you where we got that figure before. Now, here's the timeline. First of all, Russia and the Northern Alliance comes against Israel 
why they are at peace. We just read about that in Daniel. But three times in Ezekiel chapter 38, it mentions they were at peace. And they are at peace during the first half of the tribulation period. So this happens just prior to the second half of the tribulation period, this invasion. Now, we're not looking at prophecy as a whole. We're just looking at the war of Armageddon. Prior to, prior to number one there, the rapture has taken place. You and I have been caught up to be with Jesus, and we're happy and rejoicing uh, in a marvelous place. Then the Antichrist, who is then a world leader that everybody loves, he will sign a peace treaty with Israel to protect Israel from all of the Muslim nations that hate them and want to destroy them and, and wipe them off the face of the math, uh, map, the Antichrist will make a covenant for seven years. The first three and a half years will be peaceful. We saw that when the Antichrist is viewed as coming on a white horse in Revelation chapter 6. You remember he's got a bow but no arrow. He comes in peace. It's not until that second horseman comes that peace is taken away from the world. So he comes on the scene with peace and makes a covenant with, uh, with Israel. And then this happens about midway, just before the midway point of the tribulation period. Then the, the second stage, as I'm calling them, the Antichrist and the Western Alliance protect Israel. We just read that in, in verse 40, that uh, he, the Antichrist, will will come across and defeat the northern kingdom. But we know the northern kingdom will still be there at the end. When you compare uh, Ezekiel 38, the last part of it, and Rome, uh, Revelation 16, when you compare those two, you know they'll still be, still be there at the end. So this is not a, a, an annihilation of that Roman uh, army. It's a simply a, a pushing them back and overwhelming them and sending them back to where they came. And then the third stage here, the Antichrist receives a deadly wound and lives. Maybe that wound is from his war with, with uh, Russia when he pushes them back. Or maybe an assassin from one of the other nations, Russia or China or somewhere, an assassin gets close enough, and he's wounded with what the Bible says is a sword. A sword is a personal handheld weapon. So it's probably a rifle or a, or a pistol, depending on how close the assassin got. But anyway, he sustains a, a wound, and uh, a deadly wound, but he lives. And then the fourth stage, he claims to be God. And the new world leader. You see that in Revelation 13. And we see it here. We've just read it. How he claims to be God. Jesus in that last line there. Jesus in Matthew 24. You may remember. He repeated the words of Daniel. From Daniel chapter 7. And says. When the abomination of desolation. Standeth in the temple. Then. That's of course when the Antichrist claims to be God. From the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus said, if you're, if you're up on the roof working and you come down, don't take the time to pack your clothes, but flee into the mountains. 
It's going to be so bad. If you're working out in the field, don't take time to come back and gather up your possessions. Just flee into the mountains. Whatever's going on, when the Antichrist stands in the temple and claims to be God, Jesus said, run. And then in verse 21, he said, for there's never been a time this bad before, and there's never going to be a time this bad after. The Antichrist is a monster who will slay and kill many, many people. So he claims to be God. Now we'll see that. We see it here in our text. We'll see it again at the end. But uh, here is uh, one uh, in the church, of, uh, in the epistles of the New Testament uh, written by Paul. Here's a reference to him. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first. And the man of sin be revealed. The son of perdition. That's the Antichrist. By the way, the falling away, <clears throat> usually people believe that means falling away from the faith. A great falling away. And that's possible. It certainly, it's used that way in the New Testament. Uh, but this uh, could mean a, a taking away. It could be a reference to the rapture. I lean towards believing it's a, a reference to the rapture. So he's not going to be revealed until the rapture takes place. Now, he'll be alive and he'll be in politics and so forth, but we won't, no one will know who he is. And then verse 4 says, Who opposeth and exalteth, exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's the beast. And then... Number five, stage five, Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. And conquers them and moves his headquarters there. And then six, the false prophet, the image of the beast, and the number of the beast all come in right at this same time. Now, Turn with me. I'm, I'm going to turn there. Turn with me. You've got time to find it. Revelation chapter 13. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at quite a few verses. I want you to see this. Revelation 13. Easy to find because it's the last book in your Bible, of course. Revelation in chapter 13. We're in that grouping of chapters that talk about the midway point of the tribulation period. John's the human author, of course, and Jesus appears to him and gives him these revelations, some of them through angels and some of them directly from Christ himself. And in verse 1, he says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Now, the sea usually represents... The sea of nations, the sea of people. So he comes up out of the nations, one of them, and, uh, and he's a beast. And he rose up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. 
Now let's think about this for a moment. What, what John sees is this vision of the Antichrist coming and these things about him reveal a little bit about who he is and so forth. But when he comes, he's not going to look like a monster. He's going to look like a person, for he is a person to start with. And uh, he'll come as a person. But these symbols here represent certain things. So what does the seven heads, ten horns, and ten crowns represent? Turn, hold your place there and turn over to chapter 17 for a moment. And we find the explanation. And verse 8 starts out with the beast. Again, this is the beast. The beast, by the way, is, is the word that's used most of the Antichrist. The word Antichrist is used five times in the Word of God. The word beast, referring to the Antichrist, is used 36 times in the book of Revelation. Now, there are a lot of other names as well. Let me give you some of those just quickly before we look at this passage. Here's some other names of the Antichrist. In the Bible, the bloody man, the deceitful man, the wicked one, the violent one, the king of Babylon, the profane, wicked prince, the prince that shall come, the vile person, the willful king. We saw that reference in our text. The willful king. And then in the New Testament, he's called the man of sin, the son of perdition, the lawless one, and the Antichrist, and again, he's called the beast more than anything else, 36 times. So now we come over to ch chapter 17, verse 8, he's called the beast again. Jump For time's sake, jump to verse 9. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Seven mountains. That would indicate that it was symbolic of Rome. Rome is the only city in the world that boasts of seven mountains. The fact is, Rome was known as, quote, the lofty city of seven peaks, and also the seven-heeled city. Even some of their old coins had a woman sitting on seven mountains. So this identifies him with the revived Roman Empire, Rome. And as I showed you that little X, maybe that Rome, the city of Rome, will be maybe his headquarters. And then also the seven represents seven kings. Notice verse 10. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen and one is. Now the kings of of the Roman Empire, the emperors started with Alexander through Nero, that's five. And then Domitian was alive when this is written. That's the one who is, and the one who is to come is the seventh, and that is the Antichrist himself, which is to come 2,000 years later. And, uh, and look at uh, verse 10 halfway through. And one, uh, let's see, seven kings, five are falling, one is, the other is yet to come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. 
<clears throat> so he's number seven and number eight both. How is that? Because before the midway point, before Satan is cast out of heaven for the last time, he is, he is a man. He's a ruler, like the rulers of Rome. But once Satan indwells him, and he has that deadly wound, which appears to be raised back, he will be a different person. And that will be the eighth, and the eighth and the seventh are the same. That's what this verse is saying. The seventh and the eighth person is the same, the Antichrist. Look at verse 10, or 12. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour before, or one hour with the beast. One hour means one period of time. That is the tribulation period, that one period of time. And, and have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war against the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Amen? And then it says, And they that are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So the ten horns represent ten kings. Now right now, in the European Union, there are 27 nations. So 27 kings, leaders of a nation. King, emperor, president. In NATO, there's 30 countries. Now, it could be a subcommittee, a subgroup from one of these. NATO could put 10, 10 uh, uh, nations together to aid the Antichrist, or our European Union could either one. But it's interesting, something I haven't mentioned yet is the G7. G7 is made up of the most um, wealthiest of nations. The U.S., Canada, Japan, U.K., Germany, France, and one more, Italy, where Rome is. And, um, and it's called G7 because there's seven nations. By the way, those seven nations have over 50% of the world's wealth. Think about that. Seven nations. There's 197 nations in the world. This is a powerful group. And um, you know why they're called G7? Because there's seven nations. They used to be called the G8. Russia was a part of it, and they booted Russia out in 2014. So it dropped back down to being G7. I'm saying all this to say this. We only need three more nations to join the G7 to have the G10. And those G10 may well be. The ten kings that give their power to the Antichrist. Wow, you can really just see it all coming together. Somebody said to me last week, it's like it's, it's brewing. <laughs> it's brewing. Now, uh, go back to chapter 13. And let me see how much time I got. Chapter 13. I've got to move quickly. Verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard. Now, in Daniel 7, Daniel's vision there, he saw a leopard, and the leopard represented Greece. 
Alexander the Great was moving and conquering the world and doing it with great speed, like a, like a ferocious but beautiful leopard. And then his feet were the feet of a bear. The bear in Daniel 7 represented the uh, uh, Persians, the Medo-Persians, because of their ferociousness like a bear. And then the lion represented the uh, uh, Babylonians because of their ferociousness. And so he's referring to Daniel's vision. And uh, he's putting them... By the way, there was four animals there. The lion, the bear, the leopard, and the beast in his vision. And so here's this beast... And he's taking on the characteristics of those world nations. These were were world leaders, world rulers that used force, military power to conquer other nations. And he comes in the spirit of them. And and then the last part of verse 2 says, And the dragon gave him his power, his seat, and his great authority. Chapter 12, just prior to this chapter, gave us direct information on who that dragon is, the great red dragon. He is Satan himself, that old serpent. And uh, so Satan gives him his, his throne, his seat, his great authority, and his power. Verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as it was wounded to death, And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered at the beast. The word wonder means they marveled. The whole world is standing in awe of the beast. He he was as though he were slain, and then he came back to life. Now, Now, there's debates among scholars whether he really died or not. I just have to give you that very quickly. I'm running out of time. The main reason they... Uh, they think he truly died was because he was imitating the resurrection of Christ. And, uh, but the ones who thinks he didn't die reason like this. Only God can give life. Satan doesn't have the power to resurrect anybody. Now, the other group would say, well, God could have allowed it this one time. But remember, Satan is the great deceiver. And it never quite says he died. It says he had a deadly wound. He should have died. He had a wound that would cause death. He should have died. So he's probably, and I'm just speculating. Just picture with me. The whole world knows an assassin shot him. And he's laying in a coma. And he's not going to live. Maybe he's going to... They say he might live two or three days or a week. Now, all this is speculating. And then, right there in that coma, when he shouldn't live, all of a sudden he opens his eyes, sets up, crawls off the bed, and goes back to rule. And the whole world is in awe of the beast. They marvel at him. And then, of course, they sell it as that he was truly dead. Because Satan is the great deceiver. Well, let's see. Where am I? I don't know. Verse 5. And, uh, oh, and then they said, uh, 
who is like, oh, verse 4, and they worship the dragon, Satan, and gave, that gave power unto the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast, and who is able to make war against him? Wow. And, uh, and there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. Now, this sounds like uh, our Daniel 11 text. Great blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. That's three and a half years. God sets the limitations. He gives us free will and we can choose to do evil. And nations can choose to do evil like Putin has done to invade Ukraine. But uh, God puts limits. And this Antichrist, though he will reign will be limited to 42 months. Verse 6, And he opened his mouth and blasphemed against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war against the saints and to overcome them. And power was given uh, him over all the kindreds and uh, tongues and nations. The saints, there's going to be, the, the church saints are going to be caught up, but there's going to be a great revival during the days of the tribulation period. I'm going to talk about that next Sunday. A lot of people will be saved, and many of them are going to die at the hand of the Antichrist and his uh, war machine. And then verse uh, 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall, wash, shall worship him except... <laughs> Here's an exception. All on the earth will worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Wow. The ones who are redeemed by the blood of Christ, they will not worship the beast. They may be put to death, but they will not worship the beast. Now, uh, if any man have an ear, let him hear. He that le uh, leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. And the, he that killeth with a sword, sword shall uh, be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. This is to encourage people during the tribulation period. Or even people who are in severe persecution today. What, he's, what uh, John is saying and the Holy Spirit is saying is... Uh, the Antichrist is going to get what's coming to him. And uh, judgment comes, and judgment one day will be fair and real. It doesn't seem fair what's going on in Ukraine today, does it? It's just not fair. This huge army moving in on this peaceful nation. It won't seem fair what's going on, but God will be pouring out judgment on mankind, and mankind will rise to his epitome of evil. And, but he will be judged. Now, verse 11. And uh, listen quickly. And I heard, an, uh, and I beheld another beast coming up, up out of the earth. Now, here's another beast. Uh, he is called three times in the book of Revelation. This beast is called uh, the uh, false prophet. So this is the religious leader who's the right-hand man to the Antichrist, Satan empowering them both. And uh, he's got, uh, uh, and he had two horns like a lamb, but he spake like a dragon. So he speaks with great power and, uh, and 
fervor. But he appears to be like a lamb, like a, someone who is meek and so forth. And uh, that's speaking of his re the religious side. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now we have what's often called the unholy trinity. Satan, you could liken to God the Father. The Antichrist, you could liken unto God the Son. The Antichrist will be indwelt by Satan. And then the uh, false prophet would be, you could compare to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit doesn't bring honor on himself. He always honors Christ and brings people to worship Christ. This false prophet is doing the same thing. So here we have an imitation of God himself, the Trinity, in this unholy Trinity. Verse 13, And he, he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. By the way, <clears throat> Every now and then someone would ask Jesus to perform a miracle as a sign to show his great power. Jesus always refused. This false prophet will be just the opposite. He will perform miracles for the purpose of making people believe. Notice, he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he has power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwelleth on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he uh, had power to give life unto the image. And the beast, uh, and the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now there's a lot right here and I've, I've just got to kind of pass over it. But uh, There's going to be an image like an idol. Maybe it's a statue of the beast himself. And somehow this false prophet is is going to give power, of course his power is Satan's power, give power to that image to speak and to look like it's alive. Again, this may well be a deception because Satan is the great deceiver. But also, those who don't worship him will be put to death. Maybe now we know we've got a world wide web. We can see what's going on in the world on our phones or on our TVs or on our computers or pads or whatever. And uh, through that, even through that uh, medium, we could be called on to worship the beast. And if you refuse, they will uh, somehow know and you'll be put to death. When I say you, I mean the people of the earth, not you personally, because you're going to be in heaven with me and with Lee. And we're going we're gonna to rejoice together. And so this image in the temple... And then verse 16, And he causeth all, both great and small, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. 
and that no man might buy or sell save he hath had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name herein is wisdom let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is uh, for it is the number of a man and his number is six hundred six score and six or six hundred and sixty six 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 and what I think this mark will going to be you can't buy or sell without it I think it's going to be a credit card number and maybe the 666 is there's uh, there's three groupings of six numbers just like on your credit card now I think you've got four groupings of four and are just like the three groupings on your social security card maybe this will be uh, three groupings of six everybody will have a different number and uh, you can have a microchip. We know now preachers used to say something like this and people would look at them cross-eyed, you know. But we know now you can put a chip in the back of your hand or on your forehead and a reader can read that chip and it could have your credit card information on it. You can only buy or sell if you have the chip on your forehead or the chip on your hand. And that could well be the mark of the beast. These are some pretty heavy things. It's coming, but we won't be here. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Bow with me, please. With our heads bowed, maybe you'd say, Preacher, I get a little troubled over these things. Or maybe you'd say, I've got some troubles in my life. And I really need to trust the Lord in the midst of these troubles. I want you to pray the Lord will teach me and help me to do just that. If that's your prayer today, would you slip your hand up? No one's looking but me. Yes, God bless you and you and you. and God bless you and God bless you. and Yes, God bless you. Father... These are troubling times. Lord Jesus, but you told us not, not to be troubled, but to trust you instead. Teach us to trust you. Draw us up close to your heart. You've seen the hands of your people. Maybe, maybe it's not the national troubles that bother them. Maybe it's some individual personal troubles they're going through. Strengthen them. Hold them up, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. And Dr. Miller.